Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 233. I'm your host, Derek Moore. With me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pestricelli. Jay, what's going on today? Hey, Derek. Uh, thanks for having me back. You know I always look it up. 233 is a prime, just so you know. I know you're really curious about that. That means what? The market's going up or down tomorrow? Yep. You got it. Okay, there you have it. Well, <laughs> by the time this comes out, it will be the weekend. Sure. We're recording this on It'll a Thursday. So, yeah, up or down. There you go. That's That was the old, wasn't there the movie uh, Boiler Room where they would call people and, and recommend, like they'd call half the people and say, buy the stock and then the other half sell the stock and whatever worked out. They'd call that list back and say, hey, I gave you this one. I was right. Was that, was that Boiler Room? I mean, I, I'm not sure if they used that exact tactic in Boiler Room. It might have been the one, it's that movie that you watched that took place in Australia, like that you've mentioned in the past, and I can't remember that market movie. But I don't remember them exactly, you know, breaking up the list, saying half buy, half sell. Interesting approach, I guess. You're always half right. Yeah, you just keep going. Well, by the way, Boiler Room, why not make it a recommendation if you haven't? You'll see what... Uh, oh, Yeah. 1990s. That's what uh, Vin Diesel, Ben Affleck is in that. Uh, got a lot of people. And uh, so anyway. All right. So I want to talk about valuations. Uh, Liz Young over at SoFi put out a, uh, an article. I'll link to it in the show notes. And it was titled uh, Wrong Calls. And I think her point was too early or too wrong. And it was really, you know, we've had a lot of things in the news recently about Wall Street strategists. Maybe some of them have, have been bearish or continue to be bearish when markets are going higher. But she put a, a what I thought was a really nice chart in there, and it's S&P 500 forward valuations versus returns. So we think about a forward valuation, valuation we're saying, what is the S&P at? That's the price divided by the E. The estimates of the next four quarters, essentially. And in her graph, she pointed out that the forward 12 months, so forward four quarter PE, uh, at the end of July, if I'm reading this, about 19.8. And obviously the audience can't see this, Jay, but it's a scatter plot. And what you take is the higher the PE, uh, the higher chance for forward 10-year annualized returns to be lower. Am I, am I quantifying that right, Jay? Yeah. So what this is telling is based off of the forward piece of so the earnings over the next year, what is the average return over the market over the next 10 years? Right? This is a long time based on this one little data point, right? So I, 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 I listen, the chart is, uh, if anybody can ever see it, is actually a nice, you know, linear scatter plot, but I, you know, like this is, it's a long projection based off of a very, you know, kind of specific point in time of something that's uncertain. But why don't you, uh, before I bash the chart, I maybe I guess which side of this discussion I'm going to be on, right? But before we bash the chart, why don't you tell everybody what the, what the, I, I, I buried, I buried the lead. So it's terrible, terrible podcasting on my part. I could not myself. So why don't you tell everybody what at this 19.8 forward PE number, the average implied 10-year return would be? Yeah. So annualized about 
about 3.6%. 3.6%. So based on other times when this has occurred, that there was a 19.8 forward price to earnings ratio, the average per year over the next 10 years was only 3.6%. That's right. And But I, I think there's, I like the chart and here's why. There, there's really two things that can happen. The market could come down and we have the, you know, the analyst expectations sort of stay constant. Uh, the analyst expectations could get worse and the market could stay the same and the PE would go up uh, or earnings could go up. But I will say this sort of makes the case for, you know, having a broad strategy of owning the market and being hedged because if this is the implied, you know, 3.6, we know that over time, historically, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, markets have done pretty well. There's only been really two lost decades where the market was flat. So what this tells me is that maybe there'll be, let's say there's, it's not earnings coming up. There might be a pullback and that's why you need hedges. And, um, but I will also say, Jay, that earnings, have, earnings estimates have been going up a little bit. And I want to give you some numbers, Jay, and then we'll kind of talk through it. Uh, I ran some of my own metrics. Uh, you can take these for what it's worth. And what I did was I looked at the quarterly estimates starting in Q3. So we're pretty much done with Q2. And we closed today, you know, I, when I did this, it was like 44.75 on the S&P. So the next four quarters, if I add those up, the estimates, on a per share basis, it's $230.84. That implies about a 19.38 forward PE ratio. Okay. But what if earnings increase or earnings um, estimates are ro- risen by analyst just 5%? Well, then you go to 242.38 and your PE comes down to about 18 and a half. But what if they go up 10%? And this is the last one I'll do. Well, then your your next four quarters will be 253.93 and change. And then the PE is only 17.6. I mean, JP Morgan's Guide to the Market says the 25-year average of forward PEs is about 16.8. So I think it's one of those things. I think Liz has it right. You know, something has to give, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the markets coming down. It could be earnings going up, Jay. All right, let's I'm gonna unpack that a little bit. So first off, this all of this is based off of kind of forward as estimates, right? And you could have an estimate change. That's why it's called yes. an estimate, right? Yes. And if right now we are underestimating what actually happens, Liz's chart, in my opinion, is a little fakakta. Like 10 years, I'm going to project based on what happened in the month of July of 2023, which is when we got a bunch of earnings. Like I just, it seems like a, you know, it just seems to me like there's not a lot of stock to put into this kind of a, uh, of a data point where one small, you know, little change that could happen in one month can impact 10 years of projected market returns. So I don't know. There's just way too many things that could happen to push that number around. Like you said, of all of a sudden, uh, we are underestimating what the earnings actually are, right? We may look back and say like, hey, back on... August 10th, 2023, when we did episode number 233, the forward PE was 
you know, 19.8, but it turned out to really just be 17 and a half. So all of that stuff that the market is only going to go up 3.6% per year over the next 10 years is completely wrong. I don't know. I, I look at it's math and there's data here, but I just, to me, it feels like, you know, way too much is riding on things that are very uncertain. Well, you mentioned uncertainty and, and analysts are wrong all the time. Just look at the, the S&P targets at the, you know, for the last two years have been totally wrong, uh, probably except for Tom Lee. I think Tom Lee was the one I, you know, we see on CNBC who probably got it right. He was the most bullish, but yeah. yeah. Everybody gets this wrong, right? So the, yeah, that's, I guess that's my point, right? So to base all of this math and this wonderfully pretty scatter chart based on, you know, projections that don't have a particularly high level of accuracy seems like, you know, Seems well, like I, pretty, but not useful. There is negative on this one, huh? Really not giving in. Sorry. Yeah, I'm usually the negative one. I'm being positive today. I like the chart. I think the, look, I'm going to put it in the in the show notes, and people can go to it. But it also, I think, it backs up what we always say, though. And I'll say it again. I mean, you, you just be hedged. Yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, if if the analysts are, are undervaluing. Uh, the next four quarters, corporate earnings, then this, you know, the markets are actually, maybe they're undervalued now. I, and we don't really talk too much about individual stocks, but I can tell you back in, you know, take 15 years ago, Amazon, people said, you know, the, the PE is 8,000. I actually don't remember what it was, but the good as guess of any, right? And, but they grew into their valuation, like their earnings went up and up and up. And, uh, back, if you would have bought it 15 years ago, you probably bought it at you know one half times forward 15 year earnings, if that even makes sense. But uh, the one thing I will say about earnings, if the analysts are correct, and you look at you know Q2 is going to be down year over year, Q3 is projected to be slightly negative year over year, but then Q4, Q1, two, three, four. Uh, eight, seven, and then you get double-digit growth year over year projected. Again, as you said, they're just projections. But this feels like the analysts are saying the trough is in, Jay, right? Yep, I do believe. Uh, I mean, look at the data. It seems to point to that as well of actually what's happening. So, yeah, I mean, we're not done with earnings yet, right? So I guess we'll see when it all gets kind of summed up. But uh, that seems to be the feeling, and the market seems to feel that way as well. And I always feel this kind of backwards looking stuff. And yeah, markets, market's going to be ahead of it. Typically, the market's going to be ahead of it. One of the things, this one's a tough one to explain to, uh, you know, verbally to an audience, but I uh, think the fact set, I believe, uh, data here. And what they're showing is uh, the title of the chart is forward earnings expectations jump, S&P over the next 12 months earnings per share. This one's a little funky, though, because it's like if you show a chart and you have a date that was a year ago, that was for the next four quarters a year ago. So actually, they've already happened. But at any rate, uh, it does show the chart that forward earnings estimates are rising. And whether they're right or wrong, I'll let you know in a year. How's that, Jay? Yeah, so the guess of the guess is going up. The guess of the guess, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, I will say that it looked like it troughed. 
right January and February. So, you know, I, the market's smarter than everybody. The market knew they were going to raise their guesses, right? So that's <laughs> just what it does, right? I, I think it's also worth noting we're not back to the guess of June 2022, right? right. So the get, what was happening in June of 2022, Derek? Do, do you remember what the market was doing? It was getting uh, I think it was going down and that meant the analysts still had to lower their estimates more, right? Yeah. And then, so like, you know, great job analyst. All right. Yay for analyst. Well, uh, the other thing I wanted to point out is you and I watched the high yield markets. We watched the corporate bond markets, investment grade. And I want to ask you about volatility, but volatility and high yield spreads are kind of related a little bit. Now, high yield spread, what that means is for everyone listening, it's the spread of holding high yield bonds minus holding treasuries. And so there's there's different ways that that can go up or down. High yield bonds can sell off. And when bonds go down, yields go up and that can expand. That's typically what we see in a really bad sell-off like we saw in early 2020, 2008, those types of things. Uh, Jay, recently, they've been trending down. I mean, they popped up a little bit last few days. This kind of surprised me. Maybe I just haven't looked at this in a while, but the bond market is not showing a lot of fear. Either that or treasury yields have risen so much that it's narrowed, right? Yeah, and and the reason I think the reason why you made the connection here between this and volatility, they are it's kind of a, a reflection of risk appetite, right? And so um, when people that are looking to buy bonds, right, when they're willing to pay more for those bonds, right, that ends up pushing the yield lower, which says, oh look, I'm only get a little less payment because I want this bond so much, and that will push the price up and the yield lower. Um, so generally, you know, as the yield is dropping, it's seen as a safer investment. But then you're right, Derek, on this point of spreads versus treasuries. Uh, that you know, what if the treasury moves and the high yield stays the same? We talked a lot about this through uh, most of uh, definitely the early part of 2022, the latter part of 2021, because you know these yields were the the spreads were coming down, right? And a lot of it was because now you've got rising rates coming on the coming out of the treasury and the difference between the high yield rate and the treasury rate was narrowing a lot of that was because the fed was raising rates and treasuries were on the rise not because all of a sudden everybody had more of a high yield appetite so you're right you have to understand the factors that impact the spread but generally speaking the spread itself here, the spread between those two vehicles, high yield and treasuries, is the indicator of it can be considered a fear indicator or lack of confidence in the in the in the debt market. I will say, I mean, we we're only down what, what do we we calculate about three percent off the, the most recent fifty-two week high in the markets. But Jay, volatility, although it is higher than it was, I think we we had a twelve handle. High 12s for a while. Let's say on something like the VIX index today, uh, a little bit south of 16. VIX is not volatility is not necessarily spiked, and and maybe it's because it's a little bit of an orderly slow just retracement. I mean, like I said, it's only three percent, Jay. But I don't think volatility is really showing too much fear right now. 
Nope. Uh, we're still, like you said, uh, I think we closed today with a 1585. We did see as high a few days ago as like it touched on 18 and pulled back. Um, we, you and I have always talked about, you know, under the 20 range seems to be interesting. We have data that tells us 21 is an interesting level on the VIX. Uh, you know, the other, so yeah, I think we're still in this kind of lower regime, even though we seem to be a little, uh, you know, higher than we were a month or two ago when it comes to the VIX. The other thing to watch for is the options on the VIX themselves, right? What is the speculation of where the VIX is going to go? Uh, the index we use for that is the VVIX. That has been ticking up as well. And, and again, it's the how much people are willing to speculate on the change of the VIX itself. So it's kind of a derivative of a derivative that we use here to watch this. That has been kind of steadily on, on the rise but really, it, I mean, relatively flat, but it is kind of at the higher end of the of the of the range there, too. So I think, you know, we'll probably see, you know, before there's any real speculation to the downside of them in the market, uh, I think we'll start to see that reflected uh, uh, in the VIX. And it's usually kind of a cheap bet. It's the first cheap bet that people make uh, on a, you know, maybe I could get a quick pop in the VIX. And get some, you know, easy money while the market is still in a slow decline before anything gets really nasty. But uh, you know, Derek, I I would still say we're in this fairly low volatility regime, but you know, edging higher, edging higher is the way I'd put it. Nothing, nothing, you know, screaming that you should be running for the hills here, and certainly nothing saying you should be, you know, buying the dip. Like that's the other side of this, right? A lot of people will use the VIX as kind of a contrarian indicator as when they should, uh, you know, be buying a dip. Doesn't say you should be buying a dip yet either, right? It's it's really it's really more of neutral at this point on, on the way to that, the the way I would interpret it, right? The VIX isn't giving us any real direction, but it certainly it isn't telling us all is you know everything is uh, awesome uh, like the Lego Movie says. The, oh, is that a recommendation, Jay? Lego Movie. I mean, who doesn't love the Lego movie? <laughs> I do remember great. seeing that w with my son and a lot of kids in that movie theater and they're just screaming that song. Every, everything is awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that Where's was my pants. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, if you have kids, that's always a good one. All right, Jay, I, I agree. I mean, it, we're a little bit, I don't want to say no man's land, but it's, it's higher than it's been but it's not acting crazy. I do think that sometimes when we see the VVIX rise, it reflects a little bit of skewness or in, in the markets. And put another way, it's you're not going to get away with a really cheap purchase of, of VIX calls uh, or puts, but you know, calls as there. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're paying up a little bit for, for stuff on the VIX, but you're going to pay up. Yeah. There, there's a little premium on the, on the VIX calls right now on the VIX options. Yep. You know, I didn't have time to do anything with this observation today, so I have no data on this, but just an observation I'll bring up, see what your thoughts are. Just the ranges that we've been seeing between the highs and lows in the market. You know, today we had a pretty high range. I feel like the this last week we've seen markets start one direction, go another. I don't know. I mean, if there's anything, if you have any thoughts on that. If that's I do. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And even like you get days like, oh, we finished flat for the day or maybe, you know, up one point. Uh, today's a good example, right? The S&P was up 1.1. 1 
points, not percent, 1.1 points. But it was, it felt fairly bearish because at one point, you know, we were 60 points higher than where we finished the day. Uh, you know, this is, um, there's a data point, Derek, that you introduced me to the, uh, it's an ATR, average true range, right? So it kind of starts to tell you, this is a technical analysis study that, um, you know, when the day, when the, when the market is wide, regardless of where it finishes, it matters that you've got kind of a wide range within the market. And, uh, you know, market goes up, market's down, finishes flat. But every once in a while, it starts to tell you that one side of that equation could not show up one day, right? So, you know, today started out pretty strong. If the bears didn't show up, it felt like it was going to be a rocket of a day. It turned out not to be because we proceeded to sell off from 10 a.m. Eastern time all the way through to like 2 or 2.30. So it's um, this range the width of that range, longer bars insinuate more volatility and the bars are getting a little longer. The candles are getting a little longer on the chart. Uh, that You're right. That is something that uh, can be interesting. Would I think maybe you bring up uh, you know the daily range metric at some point in the future on a future podcast. Yeah, I can, I can maybe run some. There's something there. It's just, you know, we've been sort of. of yours, right? Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, that goes back yeah. to the uh, the turtle traders too. Michael Koval wrote, uh, uh, what was it called? Complete Turtle Trader. I have it somewhere. I remember interviewing Michael on uh, the market huddle back in the, the TD Ameritrade uh, days, which, uh, by the way, if anyone's interested in trading, the, the turtle traders is a fascinating story where they take uh, Richard Dennis and uh, Richard Dennis and Bill Eckhart. This is in the 80s in Chicago. They put a, a one ad in the paper. And they basically wanted to hire traders who had no trading experience. And there was a bet between these two men that said, are great traders, is it, do they just have it? Or could you teach them a system? And uh, so Complete Turtle, tra- Michael Koval wrote it. I think it's called Complete Turtle Trader. Sounds like but trading places, by the way. Yeah. Well, there's, some, there's argument about which came first. You know, that's, uh, <laughs> there, there's some arguments about that. Yeah. But yeah, so anyway, it, it's an interesting story. And of those people that got hired, uh, I think it's Jerry Parker. And I mean, some of them are managing billions of dollars today. They're still and it's trend trading, all that stuff. But uh, we completely got off track. Oh, yeah, I know why I got off track. Thanks for getting me back on track. The ATR. Yeah, that was how they sized their One of the ways they sized their positions in futures markets. So uh, there you go. All sorts of recommendations were dropping along the way, Jay, today. Wow. It, it was, it wasn't ATR part of the, the, the DRAC uh, uh, indicator, your, your, your proprietary signal? It is. It is. Yeah. It still is. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, there you go. A little baseball for Derek. There you go. All right. So let me get to another couple other things here. There's a site called Econ PI. I will put a link to that in the show notes. But if you, if you Google uh, Econ PI, they, what they do is they have, um, they call it a, a median of coordinates. And so what they, they separate these things into a grid and the upper left is the decline quad. Then you have the expansion quad, recovery and contraction. And you've got all sorts of things like non-financial profits, yield curve spread, hires, job openings, vehicle sales, any, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. 
So when you look at this and you can go to the site and you can go left and right to go, uh, go forward or back, you sort of see over time, like what things are in decline, which ones are in expansion. And I just happened to, to check in on this the other day. And, you know, there is stuff, pretty fair amount of stuff in either contraction or decline quad. Uh, the other thing they do is they track this sort of meaning of coordinates over time. It looks like if you ever watch uh, the Weather Channel and you see when there's a hurricane, there's the, the, the line that plots, you know, the, the, the path of the hurricane. And this will go back and forth. But yeah, I just thought this was interesting because it, uh, their chart here starts in Q1 of 20. And you see it was in contraction, goes to recovery, goes to expansion. And then it's, you know, in 22, it went back and forth between decline and expansion. It's in decline right now. Uh, it doesn't mean it can't go to the other way, but I don't know, just the path of this. And I don't know if it tells us anything on a forward-looking basis, if maybe this was the trough, what we've just been through in, in the economy. I, again, I'll know when I know, but any thoughts on this, Jay? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting data uh, look at all of these different you know, data points. And I, I like that they kind of combine them all to say, look, out of all this information that's out there, uh, you know, we will we'll put them all together and find the median. And then the, here you go. Boom. We're we're you know moving from the uh, contraction quadrant to the declining quadrant or the expansion quadrant. Uh, you know, it seems to me it's more right close. I know we're in the declining quadrant, Derek, but it's not by very much. It almost feels like it's smack dab, smack dab in the middle of the whole thing, right? Like, you know, zero on zero on this grid. Like it almost tells it's you couldn't have actually picked to me besides this week and last week. Uh, like a, a, a more neutral time to look at this. I'm not sure it tells us anything either, but I think the way that they combine all of their information uh, is, uh, you know, tells me that we're kind of neutral. What I would think would be interesting, Derek, is on each one of these points, if then like the next, I don't know, three months of the market was plotted right next to it. Like after, you know, the last time that we were in the expansion quad, here's what the market did. Right. The last time we were over here, you know, that would be that would be a little useful for all of this because they don't really do any for, you know, here's what happens when you've had these states before. So, I, again, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a bad way to look at this. Um, I'm scrolling back through this right through. I think the data goes all the way back to 2020. Right. Oh, it goes back to before 2008. If you keep. Keep hitting the button. Keep going. Oh, just more button. Okay, got it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't, I, look, I don't think there's too much to take. It's. I think it says the data is uh, that's out there that we get all the fundamental data that we get every morning doesn't isn't really giving us uh, an aggregate. Isn't telling us one thing or another. All right, fair enough. Uh, it's an interesting chart. I'll put it in the show notes. People can check it out if they want. Uh, but it's the the thing with economics also is there's so much of this stuff that, you know, some of it's early, some of it's late, like take employment, Jay. Unemployment rate is one of those things. And, we, and Michael Cantro, we talked about his hope is what is it? Housing orders, profits, and then employment, meaning employment is the last thing to go if it's going to go. And when typically when it goes, it just goes. 
and you're already sort of when unemployment's going up, you're already in the recession. Like it's it's a it's the last thing. Uh, our friend Nate uh, Nathan uh, had sent us over something, and it was taking a look. Uh, so I recreated the data, a chart of the unemployment rate, and I went back to I guess this is the very end of 1999, and then I threw on here a 12 month moving average line. And one of the suggestions was when the unemployment rate line crosses over and goes above the moving average line, that's when you're going to have a recession. Uh, there was some talk about, you know, in, in, I think it was June, it went above. Now in July, it's back below. We're sort of sideways right now. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, it, when this thing goes, it's too late. Like to me, it's not really telling us too much. But I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think unemployment, you know, uh, I think we got it last week, right? Starting to show some cracks in the uh, in the in the in the labor market. Um, you're right. I I, it, I think it's also there's a there's a little bit of a, you know relative comparison when it comes to this data because yes, you may you know you you have this very low unemployment rate and you know, you have this tight line between what that rate looks like and its average. Um, I, you know, I don't get a whole heck of a lot out of this data either um, because everything's kind of been fairly stable, you know? Okay. We got, we, we may be toward, coming towards the end of, well, we're, summer is, we're in the middle of summer, but you know, like September comes, we could probably start to see, you know, some of the effects of, you know, this, the cycle that we're in, and, you know, we've got some people on our investment committee who think that we will start to see the, the impact of higher yields in the construction market and uh, start to make its way into the uh, economy come the fall. Uh, you know, we'll, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure how deep that's going to go. Um, it seems like everywhere I look, we, there are plenty of jobs open, right, for people that are looking for work. Job openings doesn't seem to be a problem. And so I, you know, I, I understand why somebody would want to say, look, when things, you know, move against their average or cross against the average, it's the time to assess that there's a turn. But when I look at the data, Derek, it's been flat. All it means is the average is coming down to right where the numbers are. So I, you know, I don't think this data is particularly interesting. Hey, that's, that's the third thing, Derek, that I'm telling you isn't particularly interesting today. So I'm not, maybe I'm yeah, well, hopefully the rest of them, I, I hit a winner. I will say on this, though, some of this is math, and the unemployment rate only includes those people who have a job and the people who don't have a job but are actively looking. This is survey data. They extrapolate out. They call people, and I don't know who the heck is answering the phone from the the Bureau of uh, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I don't know if they call cell phones or not, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. And the, but they call and say, "Do you have a job?" "Yeah, I have a job." "Okay, great." Uh, "Do you have a job?" "No, I don't have a job." "Are you looking?" "No, I haven't looked in like two months or, or three months." Okay, those people are out of the data. There's different metrics that measure, you know, discouraged workers and long-term unemployed. So you could have a change in the number of people who are working, the number of people who are out of work and looking, or the number of people who have just given up. So 
let's say everyone who's looking for work just gave up, we wouldn't have any unemployment, if that makes any sense. So I think recently there were some changes in, in some of the numbers, and it's not, I'm not saying like a nefarious thing or, or redo or recalculation, but part of the reason why the rate came down is I think the participation rate changed a little bit. So I don't know. I mean, to me, like unemployment goes at the, at the end. And if you were like waiting for this to go, you're probably too late. You know, it's the whites of the eyes are already there, Jay. So there you have it. If it's even ever going to happen, which may, maybe it already did behind us. It could be behind us. You don't know. So I have, I have also a theory because people also look at job openings. And with a lot of companies returning to work, here's my theory. I'm probably an idiot on this. So, so I don't know anything. But this is my theory, and I'm, I'm going to present it here. Why not? When you have work from home and you have a company that is listing jobs, like don't they have to list it in a lot of different markets? Like wouldn't they list it in New York and LA because people can be from anywhere? In other words, are they like double counting job openings? I don't know. I, somebody can let me know how that works. Yeah, I wonder with return an, to the right, office. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you just put work from home in the job opening, and there you go, right? I mean, we I guess. recently hired somebody, right? It was, you know, while we were, it was not a work from home role, but if it was, we would have left it out there, right? We would have had the recruiter go look and find that uh, find that person wherever they were. We, and that's not our case. We work out of an office here in Florida at Zega. By the way, Derek, in case you were wondering, we're in the office. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, good. Yeah, I mean, I, it may, I'm going to say maybe, Derek. That is a newer phenomenon uh, that uh, it'll be interesting. You know, I mean, that's probably a whole different podcast about the whole work from home and the future of employment data and how it gets impacted. I think I think you bring up an interesting point. No one's really talked about that one. I don't know anything. Yeah, this is all right. I'm going to I just wrote it down, Jay. I'll find some nebulous data somewhere and I'll bring it. I will say that we got to talk about our friend Jerome Powell. Now, people may notice that we did not talk about CPI nor inflation. I will have to mention in this next uh, thing we're going to look at, but we're not talking about inflation. What I am talking about, Jay, is you and I have said for as long as anyone has listened to us, the Fed raising rates did not lower inflation. And the reason why we say that is because we had supply chain issues. And then the federal government threw a bunch of money into the economy at the very point when you couldn't get stuff. Jay, this chart shows the global supply. Who is this from, by the way? This is New York Fed and uh, macro policy perspectives. There you go. So one line that I'm looking at is the global supply chain pressure index. Don't know what that is. I assume it means how much pressure is on supply chains. And it makes sense because you can see the shape of the chart. 2020, it went way up in 2021. And then it uh, corresponds with the U.S. Consumer Price Index, the core goods year over year, lag three months. And what I see is when there's pressure on supply chains, the CPI tends to go higher, supply and demand. Jay, we were right all along, and this proves it. This is the evidence I have. Hey, I like this one. Derek, All right. I like this data point <laughs> that you provided today. <laughs> Listen, if I was to take the other side of that argument, you could say, well, supply ch- 
supply chain pressure eased because the Fed uh, adopted a restrictive policy and people decided not to spend as much, which, by the way, we know is not the case, right? Consumer spending continues to be strong. So, uh, you know, I took the other side and then immediately beat down the other side. So I'm with you, right? It was always a supply chain problem with, with, uh, with inflation. I think we've always talked about that. So if that is now finally easing, which certainly seems that supply chain pressure is easing, uh, it should bring down inflation, not necessarily what the Fed is doing. You, you think um, which, which, which political uh, figure will take credit for easing the supply chain pressure, Derek? Oh, that's the easiest answer ever. All of them. All of them. They all made it better for us. Yeah. Oh, Oh, of course they did. All, every one of them. Yep. Thankfully, we have politicians, maybe. Yes. Yes. What would we do? Yeah. No, it's, this is a, we're sort of beating a dead horse on this one, but it, you know, you and I always say stuff means something when it means something. And my example is always Greece and debt to GDP. It meant everyone was all up in arms or freaking out because Greece's GDP was X percent. It's higher it was today today than it was a decade ago when they were doing live CNBC remote spots from from Athens and showing the pantheons in the back. Uh, but you shut down ATMs, right? Like you could only take like 60 euros out a day. Do you remember that? It was it was like pandemonium in Greece. That, now it doesn't matter. European markets have done well. In fact, uh, I didn't put it bring a chart, but Europe, or foreign markets, only by a tiny bit, but for the first time in a while, they are outperforming US markets. But I think it's only like four or five months old. I, I didn't have the chart though. But for a long time, U.S. markets outperformed uh, foreign markets. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. All right, Jay. Anything else on that? We want to Nothing go to else on that. Congratulations being correct, Eric. Yep. You too. Congratulations on yes. being correct. We Thank knew you. we were right, and this proves it. Jay, any <laughs> recommendations this week? Uh, I have uh, I have it queued up, and I will watch it. The second half of The Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix. So season two came out. Netflix is starting to do to do this thing where, you know, they usually release the whole series. In the past, they released the whole series in one shot. Now they're starting to break it up a little bit. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, a little uh, play on what every other streaming service does where they kind of release one you know episode a week. Netflix was always the whole thing. Anyway, The Lincoln Lawyer, the second half of the second season is now out. So I will be uh, watching that one. Still watching Justified, still enjoying that that I mentioned last time we were on. Yeah, I had some people ask me if uh, you can just go into that new season because I guess it's different. But I don't know. You you went back, right? Yeah, I accidentally did it. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I think there's the whole – yeah, they they gave it a little different title. So Because I think they – Again, it was a couple years off that they took, six years off or something like that, five years. So still worth it going back to the beginning. Same for the beginning. Yep. I saw a chart. I didn't put it in our our show notes, but I saw a chart that basically the cost for all these streaming service like just keeps going up and up and up. And at some point, I think it's going to be problematic. Like, what do you drop? You know, do you need, you need all these Paramount plus, you need Hulu, you need Disney. 
I guess with Disney, it's you, know, you have to have all three, right? ESPN, but uh, maybe maybe that's a good indication of the economy or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, they keep going up. Well, listen, I'm, I'm worried we're going to run out of content, right? Ever are we still on strike? Actors still on strike? Actors and writers? Uh, they are, and I think yeah, we're going to wind up with a bunch of uh, reality shows. But I got I feel like they've they've stored up a lot of content. So, you know, we'll see. And there's plenty of stuff to watch that I haven't gotten to. You know, I had a, a, a audience listen, Michael, our friend, uh, he gave me a, a, a pick that's on Hulu and I can't find my notes. So I may have to save it for, uh, for next week. It's with Samuel Jackson is in it. Um, it's about people. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the show. I don't even know the name of it. I can't find it. I haven't watched it. It's helpful for everybody. Yeah, I'll just I'll exp- I'll explain it next week, Jay. So, all right, I I don't think I I did I had I Boiler Room. That's my recommendation. I haven't watched right. anything and recently. C- congratulations uh, on on your Barbie breaking. I think uh, you know a it's billion not, dollars. It's not my my Barbie. It's oh, not, that was not yours. Okay, it's not my move, movie. No, I have not seen that, and uh, I don't I don't know if I'll don't know if I'll see that. Maybe I think I'll wait for cable for that one. Okay. The, yeah. The, those those of you in the New York City area will get this. I'll wait till that's on like WPIX Channel Eleven on like a Sunday afternoon movie. Only those in New York will get that. Yeah, that's that's like at least two years. Yeah, I'm um, looking forward to it. And I don't live there anymore, so maybe a challenge. Jay, thanks again for coming on. We'll uh, come back next week and tell you how wrong we were on everything that we talked about this week. And until <laughs> then, we'll uh, we'll see everybody soon. Take care.